All right. Well, welcome to the uh, Unpopular Truth. My name is Tom, and on this podcast we do, or uh, we talk about things, and we look at them from a spiritual or better yet a biblical perspective uh, to let you know I am not a pastor, a teacher, or an elder. So everything I say compared to Scripture, um, you should be doing that with anyone who tells you absolutely anything that is spiritual. Uh, a couple things before we get into this. I'm recording this on the 4th of July. I'm recording this in the late afternoon, so hopefully we can get it done before fireworks start. Um, but I do want to say thank you to everyone who has served in the military um, for all of the freedoms that you have fought for, that we are able to celebrate uh, the 4th of July freely. And uh, just thank you from the very bottom of my heart. Uh, I I pray God would bless you richly. Also, I wanted to say happy anniversary to my lovely wife. We have been married 21 years, and I am looking forward to the next 21. I am so thankful every day that God has blessed me with you. All right, and um, also thank you to my wife because uh, anniversary presents have made this podcast what it is. Um, She got me all kinds of neat and nifty uh, gadgets to hopefully make this podcast sound better. And now it's... uh, up to me to provide the content, I believe. Um, I have entitled this one, if, if a podcast needs a title, We Love Sin. And I don't mean, mean that Christians in particular love sin, but I mean we as the world, we as mankind love sin. And this week I'm going to look at several articles um, that I think are going to be very relevant under that title. Um, but first I want to read some scripture, uh, God's Wrath on unrighteousness, and it's from Romans 1, and I'm just going to read from 18 all the way down to 32. Then I'm going to play a clip from John MacArthur regarding those two, or I'm sorry, those verses, and I think that that is very well going to tie in with everything we're going to talk about. It For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. 
They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And while it's all important, I think that uh, we need to uh, pay attention to the very last part of the last verse. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Because I think that is evident in the days that we live in. Um, It's as if an evil entity, gosh, I wonder who that could be, has taken control of absolutely everything from church to government to schools to TV. Even the comic books and kids' TV shows permit promote um, senseless evil, all while calling it good. Uh, Look at, for example, Blue's Clues. In May, they released an LGBTQ plus XYZ123 themed sing-along featuring a cartoon man in drag wearing a crown. Normalize the sin and then demonize those who stand against it. That's got to be the agenda. But it's absolutely everywhere, quite literally. Um, from church organizations who don't see the sin of plagiarizing someone else's sermons to outright demonic, I'm sorry, that was a Freudian slip, Democratic National Party tactics uh, for the SBC to elect the man they wanted to win. Uh, Bring in CRT or critical race theory and its lies, and I think we're all in for a very nasty ride. Um, The world loves sin. There's no doubt about that. And here's my thought and I'm sure it's shared by millions and millions of others, but America is currently being judged. We're not going to be judged. We are being judged. I want you to listen to this clip by John MacArthur, uh, assuming I can get everything to play correctly. Give me just a minute. We're going to start it right now. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, describes the wrath of God that is unleashed in the world. The wrath of God is divided into a number of elements. There is eschatological wrath, that is the wrath that will fall on the earth at the end of human history in a time called the time of tribulation. There is sowing and reaping wrath, that is the wrath of God that comes consequent on sin. Whatever a man sows, he reaps. There is cataclysmic wrath, that is the wrath of God that He sets on man from miraculous use of the natural order, such as the flood or any other massive disaster that catapults souls into eternity. So there is that wrath of God which is eschatological and which is consequential and which is cataclysmic. And then there is that wrath of God which is... And that would be the wrath of God unleashed on the ungodly forever in the punishments of eternal hell. But the wrath that is being referred to in Romans 1 isn't any of those. It is the wrath of abandonment. The wrath described here is the wrath that is executed when, according to verses 24, 26, and 28, God gives them over, gives them over, gives them over. In other words, it's when God abandons a nation. It's when God abandons a society and gives them over to the consequences of their behavior, which is escalating iniquity and disaster 
leading to judgment. This wrath of God is released from heaven, revealed from heaven, verse 18 says, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. And he goes on to say they all have the truth. The truth is visible from creation. You can know something of God and His nature and from the heart. Romans 2 says the law of God is written in the heart. But when man abandons God as revealed in creation, when man abandons God as revealed in conscience, when man abandons God as revealed in Holy Scripture, suppressing the truth, God judges that society. And though that society may consider itself to be wise, it is in reality the ultimate ship of fools. The heart becomes darkened when God is abandoned, and then God abandons the darkened heart. What you see in Romans chapter 1 is the sequence of what happens when God abandons a nation. First, verse 24 says, He gives them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, sexual sin, the dishonoring of their bodies among them. When God abandons a society, the first thing that happens is it becomes pornographic. It becomes obsessed with sex, obsessed with fornication, adultery, every kind of sexual behavior. We have gone through that already in the sexual revolution a couple of decades ago. The second thing that happens when God abandons a culture is found in verse 26. God gave them over to degrading passions. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. At the end of that verse, receiving in their persons the due penalty is the diseases that come consequent to homosexual behavior. And as you know, they unleashed on the world the horror of AIDS. But what it's saying here is that when God abandons a, a nation or a culture under His wrath, there will be a sexual revolution followed by a homosexual revolution. And we are living in this very condition. There's a third step. Verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's a mind that doesn't function. They can't think right. And so life becomes filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder. Also characteristic of this depraved mind is they become haters of God. Haters of God. We're living in the outpouring of the wrath of God in the category of His abandoning a culture and we're living the sequence that is here, a sexual revolution, a homosexual revolution, a reprobate mind that unleashes everything, including murder on a massive scale and hate toward God. Now all of a sudden, not only is this characteristic of our na nation, but we now promote it.
What did you think of that clip? I think it was fantastic. Um, the insight that Holy Sp- the Holy Spirit has given John MacArthur is uh, amazing. I was going to actually read something from one of his commentaries, but I think I'm going to skip that. I'll let you read it. It's actually going to be on First uh, Timothy, and we'll get into that in just a second. Uh, the point of playing that, though, wasn't to emphasize homosexuality or porn or sexual revolutions or anything, though that will come into play later. I want you to uh, pay attention later on in the podcast. But um, I think it's, I, I wanted to play it to illustrate the world that we live in and the, uh, the current times that we live in. Likewise, um, the following articles, I think, are going to illustrate uh, the times that we live in as well. Um, and I do, think, I do think the time is near. I'll give you opinion, my opinion at least, on what I think can be done at the very end. Now, the article that I'm going to read and I'm going to show you isn't essentially bad at all. Um, It's simply supposed to be an explanation of Christianity, but I want to show you some things in it, Um, and I'll link this to the show notes, or I'll put a link to this article in the show notes as well. And I found this article because I eventually wanted to get into doing um, interviews with Christians, non-Christians, doesn't matter. I wanted to be able to bring interviews on the podcast. So I I was looking up what kind of questions uh, an interviewer would ask. And in doing so, I found this, and this article is by Bernice Chan, and she interviews a pastor, and I'm using air quotes there, but it's the pastor of Scarborough Chinese Baptist Church in Canada. She starts out the interview with, I interviewed pastor, again, air quotes, Christine Lee. Now, immediately, you should know something is wrong with this interview, and it's going to more than likely be somewhat unbiblical and possibly even skewed to the left. Why? Because uh, the Bible clearly says that women are not to be pastors, not supposed to be elders or teachers, at least over men. Um, I believe that there are uh, roles that women can certainly play, and I believe every pastor would agree with that. Um, I believe the Bible agrees with that. But however, First Timothy, uh, I believe it's 2, says... Um, I do not permit a, permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And if you read on, it gives his explanation for saying that. And that's where I was going to read the commentary for John MacArthur. But I think that you should, or I would encourage you to uh, to look that up. And if you're able to uh, get your hands on one of his commentaries, look up his commentary on that because it is very good, very descriptive. Um, basically a woman should not be in this role. So thus the whole interview, in my opinion, is going to be skewed and wrong. And gosh, the, the answers that she, she gives, and, and there are some right, uh, some are wrong and some are mostly, most of them are just wishy-washy. She doesn't seem to give a definite answer on anything. But the reason I wanted to start doing interviews with Christians and non-Christians alike is to share the gospel. And I think that this lady missed a fantastic opportunity to share the gospel with the reporter or the person giving doing the interview because she asked and you'll see it in there if you read the if you read the thing it says uh, it's question number 18 is there a reason or explanation as to why people suffer listen to her answer to be honest i really don't know however uh jesus also went through suffering He went through physical suffering when he was crucified. He went through emotional suffering when he was abandoned by his friends, and many were against him. He also, I'm sorry, he knows how it feels to go through sufferings. My trust is in God, and I believe that he has a way. Now, first, that doesn't even slightly answer the question, at least not in my opinion. Um, 
But what an amazing missed opportunity that is. Instead of telling this lady that sin is the reason for all suffering and that there is an escape, she takes the Jesus suffered to approach, which, you know, certainly isn't wrong. Christ probably suffered more than all of us. But what an amazing missed opportunity um, to say, you know what? Sin is the root of all evil. And when Adam sinned, he cursed mankind, and sin entered the world. From the day we're born to the day we die, we are steeped in sin. And we cannot escape that sin this side of heaven. Um, It's our very nature. And then you could quote Romans. Um, The Bible says, There are none who do good, no, not one. Elsewhere it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it also says the punishment of that sin is death. And that's a simple answer, true, but it's it's a biblical answer. But see, then you could go even further. You could say sin is the cause, men are evil. Sin causes the decay of society. It causes hatred and disobedience against God. It destroys everything. But there's an escape. Jesus, the reason for our faith, born of a woman who was sinless, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He was fully obedient to the Father. He fully kept all the laws of God. He literally did everything we could not do. Thus, he was perfect in God's eyes. Yet he went to the cross for us. He was born to die on that cross. He is the Lamb of God, God's perfect sacrifice for his elect, Hebrews 9 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes and of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh how much more with the blood of christ who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to god purify our conscience and dead works to serve a living god without blemish that's so beautiful christ was the sacrifice in our place, condemned he stood. He died. He was buried. He rose again, thus showing that death could not hold him, showing that he was who he said he was and that he could do what he said he would do. And he commands that we put our faith or we repent and put our faith in him. There will always be sin while we're on this earth. The only escape is to be with Christ. And yes, Christians still sin. But we do so more of falling into sin, and that sin causes grief. But as the text said, Christ is our mediator. He is the one we turn to, and if we confess our sins, he is rightful, I'm sorry, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Wouldn't that be a much better answer than, wow, yeah, yeah, Christ suffered too, so neener. It just seems like she didn't uh she didn't really know where she was going with that and um or what to do about it. Another issue I have is with the very next question, what do you think will happen? This is yeah, uh, question 19. What do you think will happen to non-believers of your religion after death? Now she does answer uh, uh relatively 
smartly. She says it's a hard thing to accept because it sounds very cruel, but I believe that people who don't accept Jesus Christ will go to hell, which is a true statement, because God is so just and so holy, he cannot accept sinners within him. Um, He cannot accept sinners within him who have not paid for their sins. He allows us to be forgiven and provide a way out that's so, I'm sorry, that is to believe that Jesus took our sins and died for us. If you don't believe that Jesus took your sins, you're saying that you're holding on to them and you're not giving it up. And this is the part I have a real issue with, not that the earlier part didn't. But therefore, God can't forgive you even though he wants to. Now, that's what bothered me. It's the very last sentence. Therefore, God can't forgive you even though he wants to. God is portrayed everywhere we go and everywhere we look as being only love. To think that God has wrath is is wrong, especially in today's society. To think that God is not wanting to forgive every single person is somehow evil. Because of the sin that we just talked about, the sin that we just mentioned, we are all at enmity with God. We all hate God before he saves us. All mankind, again, there are none who do good, no, not one. We all deserve hell. From the minute we born, we're born, we start immediately on our march to hell. Sin and our sin-loving nature cease to that. For God to save anyone, even just one person, is an act of immeasurable mercy, an act of, and that is an act of his own volition. It's not owed to us. We don't deserve it. We deserve hell. Romans 9.21 says, Or does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable, honorable use and the other for common use? You see, God owes us nothing, and that's a common misconception that God is a, is a, a Santa Claus sitting up on a cloud just waiting for us to need him. Nothing could be further from the truth. God was God before the earth was formed, before, before time began. God is and always will be God. God is and always will be holy and righteous, and God does not need mankind. However, on the flip side, man desperately needs God. There's an article, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes below, but it's by Ligonier Ministry. Please go and look it up. Uh, look it up. I apologize, I cannot talk today. But it is entitled, God Doesn't Need Us. I want you to read the, um, the article, but I'm going to read the last bit for you. And it says, in Isaiah 40 and 44, we learn that God does not like, or is not like, the pagan gods of surrounding nations. These gods are fashioned by humans, Using satire, Isaiah explains that wood, the wood humans use to keep warm and cook their food on the fire by is the same wood they use to form a god, and then they bow down to that and pray and say, Deliver me, for you are my god. Notice how irrational such people are. They think their god can save, but this god is made by human hands and out of everyday stuff that god cannot save. Fittingly, God mocks these man-made gods, as well as those who worship them. These are not gods who save, but gods who must be saved. In contrast, Paul describes the Lord in Acts 17 as a creature, not as a creature, I'm sorry, but as the creator. Paul is emphatic. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. 
as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Biblical worship is due to God, not because he needs us, but because we need him. When we lift up our voices, God receives our worship. Yet we should never think that in worshiping God, we somehow give him what he otherwise would lack, as if he needed us to make himself complete. Consider the words of the 24 elders who fell down before the throne of God, worshiping him, casting down their crowns before him, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. If God were not life in and of himself, if he were not independent of us, he would not be worthy or qualified or able to save us, let alone worthy to receive worship and praise. And it's, it's talking, okay, if God were not a sea, and he's talking about the aseity of God, I guess I'm saying that right, but it's, um, he would be weak, he would be pathetic, um, he would be needy and dependent as well. He would need saving just as we do. He would be a God like us, but not a God all other than us. He would be a God in our world, but not a God distinct from our world. As Michael Horton says, we might pray for this God, but definitely not to him. It is precisely because God is free from creation that he is able to save the lost sinners like you and I. If God were a needy God, he would need our help just as much as we needed his. What is What the good news is then is that the gospel depends on a God who is not dependent on us, who does not depend on us. So why was man created? To magnify and glorify God and enjoy him forever, period. End of story. God doesn't need us. Um, It's our sin and our egos that make us think he does. Yes, people will go to hell without Christ. And yes, it is a tragedy that so many people reject him. But never imply that God can't save anyone. Man has no power. God has all the power. If a man is holding on to his sins, he hates God and God's wrath will be poured out on him. And I don't want this to take too long uh, because the podcast is already into the 28-minute mark, and I'm not even probably halfway through. But let's just leave it at that. I would I would highly recommend you go and read the article, and um, and uh, let me know your thoughts. Send me an email. I'll put my, my email down below as well. But uh, the next thing is going to be... <laughs> out of the liberals cry about everything camp. And there was a parody song. I might've even shared on my Facebook if you're, uh, if you're on Facebook, but it was called, uh, it was by an artist called Matthew West. And I, in bringing him up, I am not endorsing him. I didn't know anything about the guy. Um, all I know is I thought the song was kind of funny and it promoted modesty, which, Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it was a parody song by him. And it was called again, modest is hottest. Uh, Apparently, liberals had an absolute fit about it uh, because the song, and I quote, uh, singer and songwriter Audrey Assad described the phrase modest is hottest to be demeaning to men and women or women and men. Modest is hottest centers men and their preferences on how women should look still uh, sets being found hot by men as the ultimate goal for women 
and positions all men as creeps who can't handle seeing a woman's bare skin without turning out into without turning into out of control monsters. Now, Audrey Assad, I just looked her up, was a practicing Catholic. And while I'm sure there are some safe Catholics out in the world, I do want you to know Catholicism is a cult. From adding to Scripture with tradition, uh, the words of a sinful man being the Pope, uh, to adding works to grace and idols to Christ, basically they are a cult. Additionally, Catholicism confirms and affirms evolution. In effect, saying the Bible is not true, the in effect saying that there is no literal six-day creation. Um, for example, in an article dated uh, October 2014 by the Smithsonian, Pope Francis, the head of the Roman Catholic Church, said that Darwinian evolution is real, and so is the Big Bang. According to the Telegraph, uh, well, that was according to the Telegraph, elsewhere, he mentioned in his speech at the Pontifical Academy of Sciences The Pope said, when we read about creation in Genesis, we run the risk of imagining God was a magician with a magic wand able to do everything. But that's not so, Francis said. He added, he created human beings and let them develop according to the internal laws that he gave to each one so they would reach their fulfillment. The Pope's stance on evolution and cosmology still leaves room for a divine creator, says the Telegraph, but places his or her role in time before the birth of the universe as we know it. I believe that is called deistic evolution. Um, I could be wrong. could be deistic evolution. I'm not sure. And additionally, the heresy continues. Um, Okay. uh, Francis was first anointed the new Pope's quasi-heretical claim isn't anywhere near the first of its kind. The, uh, the church, and this is the Catholic Church, first brought in evolution into the fold in 1950s in the work of Pope Pius the whatever. Um, at the same time, Catholics take no issue with the Big Bang Theory along with the cosmological, geological, and biological axioms touted by science. And this is the quote, Roman Catholic Church has recognized Darwinian evolutions for the past 60 years. It openly rejects intelligent design and young earth creationism, saying that it pretends to be science. But the church's unique take on the theory, would call it theistic evolution, still shows that Catholics have largely missed the point. The idea that a creator um, and the tenets of Darwinian evolution are lap, writes Dvorsky, is I as a, I want my cake and to eat it too uh, proposition, and largely ignores the potency of Darwinian's dangerous idea as a god killer. Uh, Darwin's evolution theory provides a standalone system. Evolution is fully autonomous process that does not require any guiding rationality to function. Um, it's an agonizingly slow, brutish, and insanely methodical process but it works. No, it doesn't. Uh, Pope Francis' statements yesterday, and again, this is October 2014, brings the church back into stance, or church stance back into line with his historic position on scientific thought. Blah, blah, blah. All I have to say is I wouldn't trust the Pope as far as I could throw him. Um, 
That being said, I also don't trust Audrey Assad's claims either. While she was a Protestant, she converted to Catholicism at some point. She met and married her husband. She had two children. She divorced her husband. And as of March 2021, that's right, March of this year, she states she is no longer a practicing Christian. Yet she still sells Christian music albums. So don't know how that's going on or how that's happening but uh she's still in in the top charts for selling christian music uh this alone uh basically uh means that her opinion probably leaves a lot to be desired i'm sure she's a very nice lady however her claims are bogus so what does the bible actually say about modesty actually the bible has more than i have time to say right now about modesty. But first, let's see what she said again. Okay, Audrey Assad, modest is hottest is demeaning to women and men. Uh, modest and hottest centers men and their preferences on how women should still look, still uh, sets being found hot by men is the ultimate goal of women, and uh, positions all men as creeps, uh, blah, 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 saying that men can't handle seeing a woman who uh, has bare skin. Now, while I disagree with her, um, I can disagree with her without the Bible. The Bible is best. Matthew 5.28 says, Whoever looks at a woman with lust, uh, lustful intent, has already committed adultery in his heart. Um, I tell my daughter this all the time. Men, especially men her age, that's late teens, early 20s, usually only have one thing on their mind. And why? Why is that? That is because we are raised in this society. Go back to what Johnny Mac said. There was a sexual revolution and sex is everywhere. I cannot scroll through social media without seeing something that I have to avert my eyes from. So I unfollow the person or whatever, and it's replaced by someone else doing the exact same thing. Our culture is on sex overload. And my question is, why would people get mad over a Christian song, even though it's a parody song, about modesty, yet not attack the thousands and thousands of hours of pornographic stuff that is made each year? What about the cinematic and, and uh, Hollywood movies that have a woman topless or, or worse? Why not go after all of those movies? Because it's not modesty or anything like that that they hate. It's anything to do with God. And he's singing about Christian values. So that brings on the attacks. Go back to Romans uh, that I read earlier. That is why people hate God and they hate anything to do with God. Jesus says that if, we, if our eye causes us to sin, we need to pluck it out. For it is better to enter, enter heaven without an eye than to have the whole body cast into hell. This implies that it is the person's responsibility for what they decide to look at and that we should at any cost keep our eyes from what may be causing sin. And while we're on the subject, this doesn't let women off the hook. Why on earth would a Christian woman want to dress in a way that caused anyone, Christian or not, to sin? Um, shouldn't a Christian woman want how she looks to be for her husband only? Uh, again, we're going to go back to 1 Timothy. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire. The Bible is clear in so many places uh, that modesty is the model of a Christian woman. Due to time and everything else, let's just say that um, 
the original artist, the the Matthew West guy, he actually took the song down. They say you can still hear it on uh, Spotify, and I went to listen to it, and it, uh, it is not the same song. I don't know what song that is, but uh, it is not the same song. Uh, to be fair, uh, uh, Audrey Assad wasn't the only one crying over this song. Uh, there were a lot of people. One article on Yahoo states that prior to its deletion on most platforms, Modest is Hottest went viral on TikTok under this or as a sound under the name modesty culture is toxic uh my issue with modest is hottest is that it implies and this is still the article my issue with modest is hottest is that it implies all women's bodies are for men to look at user at i don't know rowan clean wrote in a in a post that now has nearly two million views Guys, we live in a world that absolutely hates righteousness. LGBTQ plus XYZ one two three, all of that um, is applauded, and it's called bravery. While modesty and biblical understanding is called hatred and weakness. Men dressing like women can uh, not only run for office, but they get appointed to office. Children are pushed towards sexual activities. <sighs> And told there are multiple genders, um, and this is all made normal by TV, by school, by the Democratic Party. It's just sick. When are we going to stand up and, and say something? I pray that the that that the Lord would come daily. And yeah. but it's also my fear of the millions and millions of people who hate Him. The millions and millions of people who are going to be flooding into hell on that day. Um, going back to the beginning of this podcast. They hate him. He will not hold back his wrath, and it will be poured out. Now, I'm also going to, since we're getting to the 40-minute mark, I am going to go ahead and link another article, and I don't have time, unfortunately, in this podcast to get to it, um, but it's regarding uh, CRT or critical race theory and the new sex education rules in Texas. Please read it. Let me know your thoughts. Feel free to email me. It is just another sick leftist propaganda sin promoting um, filth that they're going to be doing there. Um, basically in a nutshell, it says oral sex is okay. Masturbation is okay. Um, boys wearing dresses is okay. Go ahead and read the article. It is just, it is amazing. Um, again, that is all I have for this week. Um, just to make you aware, there may be a, a skip of a week or two sometime soon. My computer, I don't know if I mentioned it at the beginning. My computer is literally on literally on its last leg took me forever to get it up and running this morning just so I could type out these notes. Um, not sure how much longer it's going to last. I do have a new one on the way, but there's always a learning curve, at least for me with a new computer, um, downloading all the appropriate files and everything I need to be able to get this podcast up and running. So, uh, bear with me if there's a miss or a skip or two, um, feel free to email me. It is unpopular. True. I'm, I'm sorry. It is unpopular underscore truth at outlook.com with your questions, your concerns. I don't even care if it's hate mail. Let me know what you would like to see on future shows. Let me know um, what you think of the shows, what you think of me going through two or three articles. Um, let me know. I'm, I'm very interested in your feedback. All right, folks, that is literally all I have for this week. Again, check out the show notes. Let me know everything that you see down there. Let me know whether you like it. Let me know whether you hate it. And we're going to go ahead and end the show on that. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for your continued support. 
Thank you very much. Everybody have a wonderful, blessed week. Have a safe and happy 4th of July. And may God bless you richly. Go home and read your Bible. Bible.